Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Jesus, I just thank you again just for this incredible opportunity. And Lord, I just pray that you would ready our hearts for what you wanna do in this moment, whether we're longtime followers of Jesus And in a lot of cases, we just need constant reminders. And this may be the moment where you wanna lead us in a direction or toward a decision that uh, maybe we haven't seen or we've been fighting for a while. And Lord, I pray for those that, Lord, they're they're logging on and joining us and they're coming with lots of questions. And I pray that, that, Lord, even on this online experience, they would feel so loved, so accepted, so welcomed in. And I pray that maybe this morning would be a defining moment in their life and that you would begin to introduce them to maybe what Jesus is wanting to do in their life. And so I just pray you do your thing in these moments. I pray that I would get out of the way and allow you to work and allow you to speak. And God, I'm just gonna thank you in advance for what you're about to do. And I pray this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. So here's the thing I wanna talk about. And this is kind of hard, honestly, for us to kind of wrap our minds around, but there was once a time when there was no Republicans, there was no Democrats, and that's crazy, there was no independents, there was no Bill of Rights, there was no Constitution, there was not even any religious liberty, there was just Rome. Like, that's all there was. And Rome was a province that was transitioned to an empire under the rule of Caesar Augustus. And you maybe know this already, but Caesar Augustus was the guy, was the emperor that was ruling when this little baby boy was born in a manger in no name Bethlehem. And unbeknownst to Caesar Augustus, who had these great ambitions of being known all over the world in every generation, little did he know that that little baby boy born in no-name Bethlehem and eventually Nazareth, which was this no-name town that nothing really good could come out of it in the view of people in the first century. Little did Caesar Augustus know that eventually he would become famous, but only because he would be a footnote to this little baby boy born in Bethlehem that came out of Nazareth, whose fame would eclipse Caesar Augustus and whose fame would eclipse every Roman emperor that came after. And Jesus would grow up and ultimately he would fight the injustice of that empire. And he would call out the hypocrisy of the whole temple religious system. And again, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but he introduced a whole new way of thinking and a whole new idea in society that people had never, ever really encountered before. He began to introduce the idea that we could call God Father, that God was gonna introduce something new to where we could have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And he began to introduce the idea of loving your neighbor, which is so intuitive to us. 
But love wasn't even a virtue that the gods espoused in the first century among Romans and Greeks. And he talked about the idea of not persecuting your enemy, which was just common thought in the first century, but I want you to love your enemy. I want you to actually pray for those who persecute you. I want you to go beyond just loving your neighbor. I want you to do good for those who are nothing like you. I want you to show compassion to everybody because they're made in the image of God. And literally, this, this no-name Jewish carpenter who never traveled more than 30 miles from his home, never wrote a book, ultimately changed the entire world. And he was betrayed by his best friend. He was ultimately tried by the whole temple system. And he was crucified by the temple or by the, ultimately the empire. And then he gave up his life. And now he is worshiped all over the world. And in those initial days, right after Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, there were a band of followers. And again, if we could wrap our mind around this, they had no influence. They had no standing in culture. They had no leverage. They had no platform. They had no money. They had, no, they had nothing. And this little band of followers began to move out just days after Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And they began to form these little gatherings all over the place. And they were small. And, and initially, they weren't very influential. And, and their gatherings were so unique because it was men and women and children. And it was Jew, and it was Roman, and it was Greek. And it was jailers, and it was merchants. It was slave owners and slaves. It was rich, it was poor. It was white, it was black. And all of the sudden, all of these groups, these little gatherings with no influence and no leverage, they began to realize that they had something in common after spending their whole lives being told that they had nothing in common. And this little group of people right after the resurrection began to believe in what Jesus taught, that, that God wasn't stoned, that God wasn't some little um, ornament that they worshiped, that God literally was spirit and he was inviting us into a personal relationship. And they believed that they didn't have ascribed worth based on where they were born or who their parents were or what empire they were born under, but literally they had intrinsic worth. They were made in the image of God himself. And so rich, poor, white, black, Roman, Greek, Jew, they were all equal and they all mattered in the eyes of God. And this little group right after the resurrection, they believed in that moment that there was no need for any more sacrifices that they didn't need to go to a temple anymore, that there was no need for priests anymore, there was no need for the sacrificial system anymore, that literally God had done what God said he was gonna do by coming in the form of Jesus and then dying on the cross but not leaving it there and walking out of a grave alive and ultimately putting to death the religious system and offering and ushering in a brand new approach to God that would be based on relationship and the fact that God had made a final sacrifice for sin for all people. And that same little group of people, right after the resurrection with no influence and no standing and no leverage and, and eclectic as you could imagine, but all coming together around one common thing. Most of them were betrayed by friends as well. 
And most of them were tried by the temple system. And most of them were ultimately crucified by the empire. And they worshiped Jesus as their savior and Lord to the very end. And they, with no platform and no influence and no money and no standing, they literally changed the world. Because when Jesus said at the very end of his life before he was about to bring everything to culmination, follow me and fear not, they took it seriously and they did. And so here's what I wanna say, and I don't wanna over-dramatize this, but I don't think I am. At some point along the way, our generation of Christians, we are gonna have a once upon a time story. Like we will be a part of the historical narrative that tells the story of Christianity and tells the story of followers of Jesus in every generation. At some point along the way, we will have a once upon a time story. And the question is, what will our story be? What kind of story will we write of this generation of Christians? And specifically for many who are watching and listening, not everyone, but for this generation of Western Christians, of American Christians, what will our story be? Because come on, I think more than any other time in our life, this is what's becoming really clear. And Jesus said it 2000 years ago. We do not go to church. We are not housed in buildings behind denominational signs and logos. Literally, we are a movement. We are the church. You're a part of a movement that started with a little band of followers with no influence and no money, but they took Jesus seriously and it began to change the world. And in the midst of unbelievable uncertainty and when everything in the world around them was something to fear, they feared not. And they took the message forward and they realized that they were the church and they loved and they were attractive and they were influential with the message of Jesus. And they realized that they were stewards of that message in their generation. And come on, we do not go to church. We are the church in our generation. And maybe this season, if nothing else comes out of it, it is an incredible reminder that the church is what Jesus said it was. It is never gonna be extinguished until he comes back. And it is a movement to the world that is not confined by anything or anybody. Come on, we are the church and we are stewards of the message of Jesus in our generation. So I wonder what our story will be. And let me just boil this down to CCers who are joining us all over the country. Many of you are part of the CC fam now. You don't even live in this state. This is us as a gathering. What will the story of our church be? What, what will be our story in our communities? So with all that context as the backdrop, I wanna look at one of the most powerful narratives in all of the New Testament. This is one of my favorite, but here's the warning. And this is not unlike most of the series. It is so challenging, man. It is so honestly convicting for all of us. And that's been part of my point with this series. Like I haven't really put a governor on this thing. I just kind of let it roll. And I wanted to challenge us and allow the writings of Paul and others to get in our face a little bit. But I'm telling you, there is no passage maybe in all the New Testament that is more challenging than this passage. And in this passage, it reminds us what we began to talk about last week. That in the midst of crazy uncertainty and so much to fear, there was once a version of Christianity, Christianity that inspired heroic living, that it was not selfish, 
that it was not insulary, that it was not worried about self-preservation or their own needs, but they literally were worried about their villages, their community, and the world. And they realized that they were taking the baton of an extraordinary message. And I'm just telling you, it was awe-inspiring. Read the New Testament. People would get to the edges of these communities of Jesus followers. And number one, they didn't understand why everybody was invited in because there was no other segment in population where men and women were getting together like this and where rich and poor were getting together like this. And the influential and non-influential were gathering together like this and they just didn't understand it. But they would get to the edges of those communities and go, there is something different about these people. And we don't believe what they believe, but we'd hire them and we'd work for them. And we want our daughters to marry their sons because there's something about the way they live their lives, even in the midst of extraordinarily difficult circumstances. I'm just telling you, there was once a version of Christianity where people got to the edge and said, who are these people? And in this passage that I wanna look at, like it is, it's so powerful because it takes place two months after the resurrection, not two years Not 20 years, but literally, we're talking weeks. We're talking two months after the resurrection in Acts 4, and Luke writes it down. And Luke is a guy who's incredibly brilliant, highly educated, and at the beginning of his whole document, he begins with, I've thoroughly investigated all this stuff. Like, I've spent a lot of time um, over coffee, talking to people who were there, interviewing eyewitnesses, going through all the detail. Like, I, I spent a lot of time with this so that I could record what has happened. And so Luke begins to write it all down. And he writes down what happened with a group of Jesus followers when everything was flying out of control. Come on. Jesus had just been crucified. They have no authority And now many of them are fearing for their lives. And so Luke writes down as the church is just getting started under all of those circumstances and is so powerful. He writes the first prayer of the first church in the first century. And it's so absolutely incredible because it gives us insight into why this message and movement even survived the first century. Now, before I get there, and I'll dive in just a second, here's the thing you gotta ask if you don't know this narrative or if you forget this narrative. The question you have to ask is, what would you imagine that they would pray for? Like under all those circumstances, two months after the resurrection, with all that they were facing, with all the threats over their life, with the fact that it's not getting them Twitter followers or book deals, it's not helping their way of life. Like in that moment, what would you pray for? Let me ask you a more convicting question with what we're walking through right now. Like COVID-19 and the uncertainty and, and the difficulty that so many people have walked through. Here's a really maybe convicting question for you is what have you been praying for? Like, what have you prayed for during this season as a church? What have we prayed for? Because here's the thing, just to be really straight with you, that would be true of most of us. If all of our prayers were answered when we get on the other side of what we're walking through right now, the only people better off would be us. In a lot of cases, the only people would be better off is a couple family members that you like. The only people that would be better off is like a few friends that you decided to pray for. And we probably would have more jobs. The economy would probably be better. Homeschooling would be easier. You would still be healthy and all of those things are great, but that would probably be the only difference that our prayers would make in our lives. And here are these Jesus followers amidst unbelievable uncertainty and and Luke records it and it all starts here. One day, Peter and John 
two of Jesus' initial followers, they were cowards on Easter weekend, and then they became bold followers of Jesus after the resurrection. They're headed to the temple, and they climb up these steps, and into the temple, as they're, they're about to enter, they see this guy who's been um, crippled since birth. So this guy's probably 40 plus years old, and he's panhandling in the front of the temple, which is um, a pretty customary practice. They would be there literally every day. So people knew this guy by name. Hey, Frank, what's up? Like, he's there again. He's there every day. We know him. We get used to seeing him. And so they're coming into the temple, Peter and John are, and they're like, we don't have anything to give you. We see the sign, but we got no money. We're Jesus followers. And so we can't give you money, but we can give you something else. And then you maybe know the story, Peter and John, they heal this guy and they tell him to get up and start to walk. And so this guy who'd been crippled his whole life, who's 40 plus years old, who's on the temple steps every day, he gets up and dude starts running around the temple. I mean, couldn't walk yesterday. Now today, He's running around the temple and everybody again is familiar with this guy. They see him every single day. And so immediately it it starts this huge uproar because it's undeniable. Dude couldn't walk, now he can walk. There's a lot of chatter in the temple and this is really a, a difficult problem for the religious leaders. They just crucified Jesus two months before, we're talking about weeks ago. And now his followers, you would figure that they would shut up and scatter and that would be the end of it. Now they're healing a guy in their temple. It's kind of in their face and a bunch of people are starting to talk about it. That's a problem. So they take Peter and John after Peter. I mean, check this out. You're in the temple among all the religious leaders who crucified Jesus. Like Annas is hanging out around there. I'm sure there's some Caiaphas sightings. I mean, this is where everybody is at. And Peter heals this guy and then he starts preaching to people in the temple. Like how bold is that? And so they arrest Peter and John. They put them in prison. They leave them there for the night probably to scare them because they don't really want to do anything because, again, there's too much in terms of the crowd uproar. So they don't want to create more of a scene. They want all this to quiet down. So they get Peter and John out the next morning. They bring them out, maybe among 20 people, I don't know. And there all the religious leaders are. Again, I don't know if they're at the conference table or what, but there they all are. Annas, Caiaphas, all the other religious leaders, people that were a part of the process of putting Jesus to death. And now these are Jesus followers. And they're, they're still talking about the fact that Jesus didn't just die, which you know, nobody, could, could, you know, nobody could deny that. But they're talking about the fact that Jesus rose from the grave and they actually saw him. And so they bring him out and they're like, hey, you guys need to explain yourselves. And Peter's like, this is a perfect opportunity to preach again. Like he, he's just been put in jail. They've been flogged, by the way. He's brought back out and Peter starts to preach again to the very guys who had Jesus crucified. And he starts to talk about the fact that, listen, Jesus, he lived, he had this message. You guys know that he died. And, and Peter, if you read the message, it's so in your face. He's like, and by the way, you guys crucified him. Steve, eye contact, I'm talking to you. Like you guys crucified him. And Peter, who is cowering Easter weekend, is facing these guys down and calling them out in this meeting, knowing that they could take his life. And so he begins to talk about the fact that he was killed by you guys, he was crucified, he rose again, we saw him. And then at the end of that whole speech, with all that they had to fear and all of the unknown and the fact that they could drag these guys out in the next moment and be done with their life. Here's how Peter ends his message in front of this religious council in Acts 4, 12. Are you still with me online? I can't hear you. 
but I'm trusting you are, Acts 4.12. This is Peter. Okay, so in conclusion of my message, salvation is found in no one else. Talking about Jesus. For there is no other name, talking about Jesus, under heaven given to men by which, on the surface is so offensive, by which we must be saved. By the way, guys, just closing arguments, I'm just telling you, there's no other name under heaven that's been given to us by which we can find rescue and meaning in life and ultimately salvation. It is only found in Jesus, the guy that you crucified four weeks earlier. That's it. And he came back to life. All right, I'm done. You guys do with me what you want. And the guys are sitting there, I think unbelievably shocked at what Peter and John would be willing to do and proclaim. But here's the thing real quick, before you go, man, that is so narrow. It's so kind of offensive. Like, how could they say that? Like, there's no other name under heaven. There's no other way to God and to salvation other than Jesus. Like, that's kind of crazy. That's why maybe I've stopped following the whole Christianity thing. I get all that. But here's what I would say to you. You need to give these guys a break. And here's why. They were there. They saw Jesus die. They saw him whipped, they saw him tortured, they saw him crucified, they heard the sounds, they smelled the smells, they saw it all go down. And then they had breakfast with him on the beach. And anytime you watch your leader die and suffer torture and then come back to life several days later and have breakfast with them on the beach, you just naturally say things like this, that there is no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And I'll tell you why, because Jesus validated everything he said when he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. It only comes through me. And then when I died and walked up out of the grave, it validated everything that I said. And so before you're too hard on these guys, this is just what you say when you serve a resurrected leader. That everything he said was true and there really is no other way to God other than Jesus. And then they say this, verse 13, when they saw, talking about the leaders, the courage, the courage, the fearlessness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men, I love this, have been with Jesus. Can I just say this real quick and I'm gonna move on, but I think this is so important. I think so many of you need to hear this at certain seasons of your life. God is gonna put plans on your heart. God is gonna give you dreams. God has a will and a destiny for your life. One of the prayers that I pray over my kids every night that I think is a guiding, um, kind of a guiding directive in my parenting is I want my kids to know that God has a special will and purpose for their life. Because I'm telling you, it, it directs everything that you do. And I just wanna tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has a special will and direction and purpose and destiny for your life. And you just need to know when you decide I'm gonna follow Jesus and I'm gonna throw off everything that hinders, I'm gonna throw off every sin that gets in the way and it's not gonna be perfect, but I'm going all in with Jesus. I'm just telling you, God will place dreams and desires on your heart that in certain moments of your life will seem like they're not gonna come true or they can't come true. And I just wanna tell you this, other people will tell you they can't come true. And you just need to know this, God will always take you beyond your natural capacity. 
He will not take you beyond your capacity or beyond your competency, but he will take you beyond your capacity. And I just wanna say this to maybe you're 60 something and there's something God's laid on your heart, but a lot of you 20 somethings right now, I just wanna tell you, God has called you to something that seems way beyond you right now. And I just wanna tell you, God loves to take ordinary, unimpressive things and use them in powerful ways so that Jesus gets all of the credit. And if God has placed something on your heart that is within your competency, but beyond your capacity, don't ever let anybody tell you that God can't. And say, so look at these guys and like, how, how is this happening? There is nothing remarkable about them. They're unschooled, junior college, like haven't done a whole lot with their life, ordinary kind of men. But they had been with Jesus in verse 14. But since they could see that the men who had been, or the man who had been healed standing there with them, like again, the guy couldn't stand yesterday healed, now today he can stand. And so there was nothing that the religious leaders could say. It, it just took away every argument. What are you gonna say in that moment? Like the guy's walking around the temple. You can't deny what happened. So basically the religious leaders at the end of Peter and John's little message are like, okay, listen guys, we can't do anything to you because there's, there's too much crowd influence. So we gotta let you go. But just know we're watching you. And just remember, we crucified your leader. You guys have got to shut up about the Jesus talk. No more resurrection talk. Like, it's got to stop now, and we'll let you guys go. And so they let Peter and John go, what do you think they did? Got a ticket and hid away, found a safe house as quick as they could, and God protect us, God help us, God keep us safe. That was a close call. Glad we made it out of that alive. We're not going to go back there again. No, the religious leaders got to the end of their talk and Peter's like, nope. And they walked out and they went back to this house where a bunch of other disciples had been praying. And what they believed, I think in that moment, is there was gonna be a couple other crucifixions that were gonna go down and it was gonna involve Peter and John. And they're all praying in their home and Peter and John come back to the house and they knock on the door and they end up entering in. And then in that moment, Luke records the first prayer of the first church in history. And I'm just telling you before we get there, in that moment with all of that understanding, with that context, what would you pray for? Like, what would we pray for? What would we ask God for in that moment? Here's how they prayed. Verse 24 of Acts 4, when they heard this, and this is the people in the room who had been praying, when they heard the report of Peter and John, they raised their voices together and prayed to God. And here's the first prayer ever by the first church as it is recorded. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens, you made the earth, you made the sea and everything in them. So they didn't start the way we started. Like, God, thank you for this. They're like, we just wanna get it out into the open right now. And we wanna acknowledge you and acknowledge the fact that you are bigger than anything that we are walking through right now. We're acknowledging that you flung the stars and you spoke the planets and you put everything into existence and there is nothing that is taking you by surprise. That's a great way to start your prayers sometimes. I'm in the midst of what is out of control, but you are not out of control. And I just wanna acknowledge, even if I don't feel it, you are bigger than all of this. They're like, you're the sovereign God, you're over earth, you're over sea, you command nature, verse 25, and you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And now he quotes something that David wrote that was an Old Testament prophecy that predicted the Messiah hundreds of years before. 
and ultimately predicted that Messiah would suffer. And, and in this moment, they quote what David wrote all of those years before when he said, why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain, verse 26. And the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord. Again, all part of this Old Testament prophecy predicting Jesus and against your anointed one. And then right there as they're praying, they start to bring it all up into current circumstances of this is what was predicted. And now they start in their prayer to go, and it's happened. God actually has already done what was predicted by all of the prophets hundreds of years before. And in verse 27, they pray this. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. We're not talking about another country or another city at another time in another generation. We're talking about weeks before in this very city, all of this went down just as God predicted it. And they conspired against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. And then verse 28, check this out. I love this. And they begin to pray and they did, talking about all those religious leaders, all of those who had Jesus tried and ultimately crucified, they did what your power and what your will decided beforehand should happen. Nothing was by surprise. You decided it. It was a part of your will and your plan. And then you allowed it to happen and your power allowed it to go down the way it went down. And so we're just acknowledging this in this moment with all of the uncertainty and for the fact that Peter and John, their lives are at stake. We just want to acknowledge right now, despite what our feelings say, that you are in control. And even in the darkest moments, including the crucifixion, it was the epicenter of your greatest activity. You were over it all. You decided it all. It was according to your will. It was according to your power. Nothing blindsided you. And so we have no reason to be afraid and worried in this moment. And then they got to their request after getting that out of the way and just positioning their mind and heart to go. We just wanna remind ourselves, Jesus, God, who you are. And then they say this, so here's our request now, in light of all that, in light of all that we're walking through. Now protect us, watch over us and keep us Cause our 401k to stop shrinking. Cause our waistlines to start shrinking. Help us to find toilet paper, get our kids scholarships. I need a date, but I can't leave the house, so that's a problem. The economy has me freaked out. Everything is going to hell. I don't know what to do through all of this. It's never gonna be the same again. No, that's what we pray. That's what we would pray. That's what we've been praying through this. This is what they prayed. Not because they were out of toilet paper, but because their life may be taken from them. Can I just say this? Just be serious for a second. We pray really, really little prayers. Which is maybe part of the reason that we see so little happen. And we are so unbelievably worried. All those prayers are great. And you can throw in finding your car keys with it, but come on. Are you praying for anything that's bigger than that and bigger than you? And maybe bigger than your circumstances. Here's what they prayed now, Lord. Consider their threats. 
you wouldn't guess this. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Literally in the Greek, fearlessness, confidence. Like that was their prayer. Hey God, we see everything that's happening. I'm not gonna lie and tell you there are not moments where we're a little bit afraid because fear is just an emotion. We're worried here and there because just worry is an emotion, but we're not living in that space. We're not allowing that to rule us and take us over. But come on, with all that's going on, like we get it. We're not hiding our head in the sand. We're informed. So God, we're just asking you now in light of everything that's happened, their threats, the fact that Peter and John, we hope they're gonna be around for a while, but we're not sure. Enable us to be confident. Enable us to be bold. And I think somebody in the crowd's gotta be thinking, because by the way, Peter and John and these guys, like they had been flogged along with everything else. Like they've got scars on their backs. So I think people in the room, like the honest people who are willing to speak up are like, I I think the scars on your back prove the fact you already have the confidence boldness thing down. I don't think you need to pray for that anymore. But no, 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 God, give us, give us confidence. Can I just ask us a question? for just a minute, ask you a question, our church a question, wherever you're located. Have you ever prayed that in your life? Have you ever walked through uncertainty or things that could be terrifying or loss or I don't know if I'm gonna get this back, I don't know if it's gonna work out. God, give me confidence. I may pray too that you change it because I want you to change it, but regardless of whether you change it or not, I wanna walk through it with confidence. Confidence in you, confidence in what you're doing, confidence that there is nothing to be afraid of. There was once a version of Christianity that inspired heroic praying. God, give us, give us confidence. Church, God, give us confidence. And then they don't stop there. Verse 30, stretch out your hand, praying to God, and then do something for us. Do something for me, my safety. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what they prayed. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the only name that can save and the only name that has any real power, the name of your holy servant, Jesus, that's what we're praying for. for. And we're not praying just for us. We're not just praying for our safety. We're not just praying for our retirement. We're not just praying for our kids. We're praying that you do something that's way bigger than us. And I'll just tell you, by the way, it's why we're here in the first century because they were less concerned about themselves and more concerned about what God would do through the generations. And they prayed for something in this moment, even though there was so much to fear that was that was so much bigger than them. God, do something that when you do it and after you do it, the only explanation is God. Like how many of those things do we have in our lives? And come on, I'm just speaking honestly and I'm speaking to me, so we're all together on this. But how many of those stories do we have in our lives? How many of those stories do we have in our churches? And I get it, like some of these verses have been ripped way out of context and you've seen silly and crazy stuff done. And I've talked about this a lot. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. It's not a cosmic vending machine. It's not, if you have enough faith, God's just gonna do it. But I was talking with a really good friend of mine the other day on Zoom 
and just reminded me of the reality that, that we can't stray too far away from. Why are we not praying bigger prayers? Why are we not believing that God can do the miraculous? Why are we not asking God to stretch out his hand to do something? in our homes, in our community, in our city, maybe our nation, where the only explanation is God. Not because your political party did something, not because of government legislation, not because you got some new strategy, but because God did something miraculous and he is the only explanation. What if we started praying some of those prayers over the next couple of weeks? Well, what if we started to shift some of our focus? One of the books that really shaped me around college years, I think this is probably junior in college, was this little book that's, I think, still in print that's a classic in my mind. And it was written by a guy by the name of Jim Cymbal, and the title of the book was Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And I love the entire book. I love the story of what God did. And there were so many stories in that book that, that brought me to this passage because there was, there was some explanations of events that, it just really sounded like God stretching out his hand to miraculously perform signs and wonders and do things that were just beyond what is normal and natural and beyond explanation. And, and it grabbed me. And then what also grabbed me was a statement in this book that said this, and I've never forgotten it. And the statement in the book by Jim Simble himself, who was the author said this, I, I was in a place one time where we just had very little God wasn't doing a whole lot, but we believed God and we started praying bold, confident, big prayers. And our prayers, we, we wanted to match the size of the God that we were following and served. And, and he said, as we prayed in the early days of our church, which is called Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, he said, in the early days of praying these prayers and asking God to do something miraculous, he, he wrote this. He said, I despaired the thought of my life passing me by without seeing God move greatly on my behalf. And I've never forgot those words because I, I began to make that a prayer on somewhat regular basis of, that, that's my angst. And I don't want my measure to be success because success is way off because success is always gauged on what other people are doing. I, I wanna pursue faithfulness in excellence around the calling that God's given me that doesn't depend on anybody else. It just depends on me being faithful and then God bringing his power. But man, I wanna pray prayers like that. I wanna lead a church like that. I wanna lift our thinking to see God that way that, that we're, would be something in us that is just unsatisfied with, with constantly living life and praying for things that honestly probably are gonna work out anyway in a lot of cases. But what about those things that that we pray for and we seek God for where the only explanation is God. And we have a story of, I can't explain this, but God did it and God was glorified through it. And I don't wanna live my life. I despair the thought of living my life without believing and praying for God to do something greatly on my behalf and on our behalf in our generation. And so after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken because God answered. <laughs> And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God because this is what they were asking for. They spoke it boldly. And just real quick, this is not the image that you have in your mind of bold, confident Christianity, which is silly, ridiculous people holding picket signs on a street corner, taking Old Testament passages out of context 
and defaming and belittling the name of Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. That's not the boldness and the confidence and the fearlessness that these Jesus followers had. In fact, here's what is maybe most missed in history is that this had nothing to do with theology. As important as that is, it had nothing to do with doctrine, as important as doctrine is. It had nothing to do with heaven and hell, as important as that is. It didn't even have anything to do with sin, as important as that subject is. Here's what they were confident and bold about, and this is still the epicenter of our message 2,000 years later. What spurred on confidence and boldness was the fact that Jesus was dead and then God raised him from the dead and it changed everything. And they realized that everything that Jesus said was true. Everything he said he was gonna do, he did. Every promise that he offered us, he fulfilled or is going to fulfill because he walked out of a grave alive and they did not have to fear the future. They did not have to worry and they did not have to walk out into the streets and rip Bible verses out of context and try to manipulate and coerce people. They just simply pointed people to the fact that we serve a leader and a founder that was dead and now he's alive and you should follow him too. Because if he walked out of a grave alive, it changed everything and they were bold around that. And so verse 33 says this, that with great power, the apostles continued to testify. I'm just telling you, this isn't just for them. This is for us today, 2020. Not testify about parables, not testify about teachings, not testify about the miracles of Jesus as important as all those things were. But the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I'm just gonna tell you guys, this has gotta become at the forefront of everything again for the local church. And because of this, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, This is the reason that they were fearless. And because they were fearless, they were selfless. And they were selfless because they no longer had any fear of losing anything. And when you don't fear loss, you are selfless. When you don't fear your retirement, you're selfless. When you don't fear next year, you're selfless. When you don't even fear for yourself, you are selfless. When you don't fear having to try to control and manipulate outcomes, you are selfless. You love, you are generous, you tear down dividing walls and you love people, nothing like you. That's what happens when you connect a resurrection to fearlessness, to selflessness, because there is no fear of loss. And I just wanna say, for some of us, because we haven't come back to this truth. We are so afraid. And in some cases we are so selfish and we're so building our hope on government and on policies and on political parties. And I'm just gonna be upfront and say this. Some of you have walked through this season and you've done nothing but politicize another thing and divide walls and keep other people out. And I'm so sorry for you because God has wanted to do something through this season that is so much bigger than all of that and you missed it. Do you know why we cannot be afraid? It's not because the economy's good. It's not because your circumstances are good. It's not because a virus goes away. It's not because your political candidate got elected or you hope will get elected. It's not because of any legislation It's not because of anything you feel. We can be fearless and confident because God raised Jesus from the dead. We do not have to fear loss. 
and we do not have to fear the future. Because he lives, to quote my favorite hymn, because he lives, we can face tomorrow and we can face it with confidence. And because he lives, all fear is gone. And I'm just telling you, it's possible. So, not to overstate this, but I just, at some point along the way, talking about this generation of Christians in the church, we will be a once upon a time story. Every generation of Christians has had their story told. And the question that you have to ask is what will our story be? That at one point along the way, there was a nation trembling in fear. And as people increasingly look to government for salvation and to political parties for salvation, and as the rhetoric got nastier, and as more and more dividing walls were put up and people took sides, and there was danger and people were gripped with fear and compassion waned and the racial divide increased. There was a group of people who were fearless and they were informed, but they weren't worried. And they were responsible, but they were compassionate and they were involved, but they were not divisive. And they had convictions, but they weren't judgmental. They were Jesus followers. And they were Republican, they were Democrat, they were independent, they were rich and poor, they were white and black. They were from every different background, but more than anything else, there's one thing that held them all together, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and he walked out of a grave alive, and they were followers of Jesus, and they recognized that they were stewards of the message of Jesus in their generation. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people who gave their lives, people who faced down death and followed Jesus to the end. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Why, why don't we just go all in? Why don't we set off every bit of fear, every bit of worry? Why don't we just put all of the chips on the table that if we're willing to trust Jesus with our eternity, we're gonna trust him with everything right now, throw off everything that hinders and let us run with perseverance. Let us be the generation that stops being tethered to an imaginary God that says, if you follow me and have enough faith, bad things are not gonna happen. And instead recognize, Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world and that day is coming. So I want you to move forward. You're gonna suffer, I'm really good. You're gonna suffer, Jesus loves me. You're gonna suffer, I'm gonna be with you every step of the way. And let's stop being thrown all over the place with every change of circumstance and feeling. And let's rise up as the church and let's take the baton of those initial followers to go, we are gonna follow you anyway. We are gonna persevere anyway because you laid all of this out for us and there's really not that much that should take us by surprise. So we are gonna run our race in our generation with perseverance and we're gonna fix our eyes, not on politics, not on Washington, 
not on social media, not on other people in our generation. We're gonna fix our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer, he started it off and the perfecter, he finished it of our faith. And for the joy set before him and ultimately us, he endured the cross, scorning at shame. And then he sat down because it was all finished and he had completed it at the right hand of the throne of God. And so now, church, consider Jesus. who endured that kind of opposition from sinners so that it's the purpose. This is why it all went down. You and I and our generation and our church would not grow weary and lose heart. It is worth it and it is working. And there's nothing to fear. And maybe, maybe, Maybe we'd walk through this season. This is my prayer. This is my heart. This is where I'm hoping God keeps leading me right now. That we'd pray differently. And we'd pray more bold and we'd actually pray for boldness. And we would be less concerned about changing all of the circumstances and start being more concerned about walking through it with faith and confidence. And maybe even through our church, God would do something that could only be explained by him stretching out his hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. And our only explanation is, God, you did that. And we're able to walk through this because you did that. So we're gonna give generously. We're gonna pray, not just for us, but for the needs of others. We're gonna reach out into our community. We're gonna care about people who are nothing like us, just like Jesus. We're gonna be a church in our generation that doesn't build walls. We work with everything we got to tear them all down. And we're gonna recognize that it is worth it and it is working and Jesus has set the pace and we have a race to run in our generation. And he said to us, follow me. Would you guys pray with me wherever you're at? And as I get ready to pray, and I know we're all over the place, and so it's easy to be engaged with about 13 different things all simultaneously and maybe multiple screens up right now. But I believe these are actually sacred moments um, for the Jesus movement when God moves and works in hearts and changes things that we couldn't do, my words can't do, a message can't do. But the Spirit of God in this moment, He. He does that. And so right now there's, there's individuals um, in places and they, they weren't expecting this, but this is the moment that God's called you to give up and place your faith and trust in Jesus. So I wanna just lead you in that right now. And if it feels like I'm talking right to you, it's because I'm not directly, but the spirit of God is talking directly to you. And it feels really, really personal because it is personal. And so right now you just pray this and it's not the words that save you. It's your declaration of faith and trust to pray this. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And right now I'm placing my faith and trust in you. And I just want to encourage you, whatever your faith background, whatever you've done, whatever you are leaning into, if it's not Jesus, it's not the faith of the scriptures. Because Jesus said, there's no other name under heaven whereby 
whereby men can be saved other than the name of Jesus and what Jesus did. So I wanna lead you one more time. If this is your moment to place your faith and trust in him, Jesus, I believe that you lived a perfect life I couldn't live. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose again. And I believe that you're God. And right now I'm asking you to save me and to forgive me. The scripture says, if you've prayed that prayer, it's not the prayer, but it's your declaration of trust that saves you. We wanna know about that. And so this might seem impersonal, but it's actually incredibly personal because we wanna connect with you. Text CC decided to 94,000, CC decided to 94,000. And we wanna just, we wanna come around you and, and give you resources and information or just pray with you about this decision. And then the second thing, and I'll be done. I wanna encourage you to get in a group. You cannot grow apart from community. And so a, a lot of CCers, and I just wanna, there's a lot of people who are still just kind of investigating. So I'm not talking to you, you can tune me out for a second, though I'm gonna invite you into this in a minute, but I'm gonna go a little harder to CCer. There's a bunch of you that, that claim the name of Jesus and this desire to grow in your faith and you're not taking a single step in that direction. And one of the biggest steps is community and you've been given a thousand excuses. And so I, at the risk of offending you, just, just wanna really just kind of get up on you for a second. You need to take a step, many of you to lead a group and many of you to get in a group and you need to do it now. You need community. And so let's not talk about growing faith and persevering and fixing our eyes on Jesus and then disengaging from the very thing that Jesus said is a non-negotiable in your spiritual walk. And so right now, text CC group, and I say all of that in love, to 94,000 and let's go. God's calling you to step up and lead a group, lead an I group, a digital group. Now we've, we're offering these all over the country. And so these new groups are available to you wherever you live. So right now, CC group to 94,000. Let's get into community and let's do this together all over the country. And let me pray over you as our worship team leads us out. Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. And so God, continue to move and work in our hearts, continue to ingrain and just solidify the decisions that we have just made in this moment. Lord, help us to know that what we feel, is it's not all based on a feeling, but it's real. And the spirit of God is working in our heart. And so give us the courage, give us the boldness, give us the confidence to take the next step with what you're calling us to. And see the incredible, powerful name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.